You're on PeerPod, the podcast where you are the peers and we are your pod. We're coming to you today from our ThinkSpace studio above SciTech Library at the University of Sydney. Before we bring in this week's guests, I'd like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land we're recording on, the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. We pay respect to their elders past, present and emerging. Let's get into it. We have had a bunch of extra hoops to jump through this year. A closed campus, online learning, an excess of admin and proctor facilitated exams. All of this in addition to the stress of living through a pandemic. Today, we're embracing Disability Inclusion Week, kicking off today. The theme this year is inclusion in the online environment. The week will be looking at how we're currently living and studying and what options are available to make both easier. While there are still great opportunities to get engaged with university life, we'd like to acknowledge that conditions are tough and anxiety levels are understandably high. To help and make sure we're all informed, today we're going to be talking about the help on offer from Disability Support Services, which may be a little further reaching than you previously thought. I've got Max and Jack with me today. Max is a master's student at UCID and Jack works with Disability Support Services, or DSS for short. Jack, who are Disability Support Services? Um, It's a very broad question. So Disability Services is essentially um, a unit within Student Support Services. Um, We provide adjustments for students with disability um, so that they can have equal access to education, um, Mm -hmm. say for a student who's not experiencing the same disability. Disability um, is a really tricky word because I think the understanding of that word has changed over time and from our context, we use the Disability Discrimination Act um, as a reference point um, for all of our adjustments. And under the Disability Discrimination Act, disability is categorised as your kind of, um, I guess, regular understanding of what a disability might be. So that could be a physical disability, a hearing impairment, a vision impairment, but it also includes things like invisible disabilities, so to speak. So Mm. autism spectrum disorder, psychological conditions, neurological disorders, learning disabilities, um, which I think a lot of students maybe aren't aware of, but essentially our role is to understand how that disability is impacting the student um, and in what ways it may not allow them that equal access to education. And so therefore we approve particular adjustments that are supposed to allow them to still engage with the education and show their understanding more so than showing the deficits um, that they experience as a result of that disability. Yeah, okay, cool. So just to be clear, um, what people would normally potentially be approaching disability support services for or um, in a traditional kind of sense would be accessibility issues for a lot of people, I guess. And the solutions to that would be making sure that, well, in the old days when I was at high school and stuff like that, it was like making sure that you could get into classrooms and move around the campus and stuff like that but with less visible disabilities, we'd be looking at what kind of services? So it really sort of depends on the student. Um, And even if we see, you know, two students in one day, both with an anxiety disorder, Mm -hmm. they are going to experience that in a very different way. So we use the medical documentation from their health practitioners to sort of inform us in terms of the direction that we want to provide or provide those adjustments for Mm -hmm. and obviously the conversation with the students so that registration appointment in really understanding where the impacts lie so if you take something like an anxiety disorder for instance um, that is 
kind of an unreasonable or an irrational reaction to a rational um, thing that presents itself in this kind of fear. So some students may have difficulty participating in group work. Mm. They may um, not want to approach lecturers or academics to ask them questions, even though they have questions in the classroom. They may have a lot of difficulty submitting their work if they have perfectionism tendencies. So, for instance, they're still completing all of their work on time, but they just can't press that submit button because of the fear of the what if or what's going to happen in these scenarios. So That's tough. Yeah, we have to kind of, I guess, explore all of the avenues in how students could be impacted and then work through what sort of reasonable adjustments would be applied in those circumstances. So some adjustments in in those particular circumstances might be that a student would have um, alternative assessments to group work where it's possible to create an individual assessment. That's a really complex adjustment because it means that you have to review the learning outcomes of those particular assessments and also the inherent requirements of the course. So if a student's graduating from a course that requires them to work in groups or to show that they can work in groups, mm. because that's an inherent requirement, we can't implement an adjustment around group work to make it individual. But what we could do is um, set up an adjustment that essentially is the academic and the student should liaise around group work to see what support can be put in place. So that could be essentially maybe an email going to their group before from disability services, from the student or from the academic, however it's arranged, to talk about what are the things that you can do to help support me. And some of those things could be keep our meetings within regular hours, don't email me within 10 minutes and assume that I'm going to you know, get back to you straight away. Um, causing those sort of undue stresses or triggers that someone with an anxiety disorder might experience. So um, while it is kind of on surface, sometimes there are really standard adjustments. There's also those more complex, nuanced ones that I think we have to work through. Mm. Yeah. So everything's pretty tailored to um, the different... Well, do you say clients or students that come students, to students? Yeah. Well, I like the term students more as well. <laughs> yeah, they're definitely um, students. Yeah, sweet. Um, so, yeah, students come to you, you assess, or they come with their queries yeah. to you. You discuss those in relation to the context of the courses that they're working with, and mm -hmm. then you build a framework with all three parties going it, forward. Yeah, exactly. And I think the um, important thing to note or to understand is that that adjustment or those particular adjustments um, would probably change over time. So um, a student may not have exams in their first year and then all of a sudden in their second year they have exams or vice versa, they don't mm. have assignments in the first year. Um, or the course itself changes, so new units added, new assessments are added, which then obviously is going to impact the student if they didn't exist before. Um, and so I think there are lots of, you know, bumps along the road that happen that we need to account for, which is sort of why we um, are a student actioned service. So mm. if, you know, the, the particular student does have an adjustment or a difficulty that they need to work through, it's their responsibility to contact us because mm. we work on this model of essentially saying that, you know, you're an adult now coming to higher education um, and it's your responsibility to take action to try and enable and also, I think, create or facilitate that help-seeking... Characteristic or yeah. personality trait or... Yeah, those help-seeking <laughs> skills yeah, yeah. that a student is going to need when they go into the workplace because we don't want to sort of 
I think, continue um, what is traditionally supported in terms of high school, which is much more of a caseworker, pastoral care mm. um, role. We want to move and understand that you're transitioning from, you know, high school through higher education into eventually the workplace. Mm. And in the workplace, you may still need reasonable adjustments and it would work slightly differently. So we're trying to manage those expectations around what they can look towards when they are entering the workforce. Max, before we get some background, how did you first come into contact with disability support services? It would have been, yeah, it would have been my undergrad. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think they, I'd been pointed their way by the, by the, it's not the recruitment team, but yeah, by the recruitment (laughs) team. Um, And it was for adjustments in regards to my degree then. And it was, yeah, it, it was an interesting experience. It definitely, I definitely found they were more helpful than my high school. But at the time, I think disability has come like my brother, my brother has a disability as well. And mm. I mean, you look at how incrementally disability understanding has come even between then in 2012 to now it's a massive difference mm. um, and get coming through I had a few difficulties yeah well what were you studying and I was, was in studying 2012. a bachelor of liberal arts and science because okay. yeah without the proper adjustments during high school I was never going to get a good ATAR mm. in mm. um in my HSC and you mentioned that there wasn't much support at high school no should we delve into um, the, well, the disabilities, if you don't mind me saying it, the disabilities that you... Yeah, um, so yeah. I, I have narcolepsy mm-hmm. and that plays into a few other areas of my life and has exasperated some other things. Mm. will take an eon to explain, but narcolepsy is the broader umbrella. Mm-hmm. Um, and so with that, it's... Narcolepsy and depression go hand in hand. Um, And also with that, if I'm juggling things, depending on what I'm studying, what is going on in my personal life Mm. versus what I'm working on or doing on the side, um, I can only manage maybe two out of three things at once when Mm. you're going like full tilt at all three. Mm. That's when you definitely, like we were talking about anxiety before, that's where anxiety definitely goes a little bit crazy. Um, with my narcolepsy, I have to sleep regularly. Mm. If I don't have good sleep hygiene, I can't maintain a healthy a healthy flow to my life, which means I can't drive, I can't do a whole bunch of things. Yep, and then anxiety builds up around yeah. all of that. and then that gets worse. Mm. And, yeah, without without disability services, I just wouldn't, wouldn't manage here. It would just be high school all over again. And like I said, yeah. for me, high school was first at a, at a private boys' school here. And um, their answer was, well, we can put you in the bottom classes with all the remedial kids mm-hmm. or that's it. <laughs> so wow. we, we took that. We took that's it because I was there on a scholarship anyway. And I went to a public school and mm-hmm. ended up getting more support, mm-hmm. not the right support, but more support than I was getting. So interesting. It was, yeah. yeah okay. So going through high school... Um, what was the process to get diagnosed with narcolepsy? 
I actually didn't get diagnosed with narcolepsy till I was 22. Mm-hmm. Um, how so did that play into a support? It's, it was really difficult because when no one can really label what's wrong with you, you don't really fit into the brackets for support because mm. there are like there is a level of standardization at least from what i found um in support um services and that standardization in high school which was definitely a board of ed standardization was just like well we can't really we can't really like pinpoint what's wrong with you mm. so we'll just do like these little things and hope that's enough and yeah it, it definitely wasn't because I mean, I spent the better part of my probably from 12 to 12 to 20 getting to know every staff member at North Shore Hospital. (laughs) (laughs) That's not something every teenager wants to have. (laughs) No, not at all. Not at all. Interesting social circle. When you're on a first name basis with the nurses rather than the people you're supposed to be getting getting to know around you, it's... um, it's different, but then getting a diagnosis made a huge difference mm. because at least then, firstly, there were treatments available, which has made my life a lot easier. Mm. And relative to those treatments, experts, specialists can mm. now make recommendations on how I can get the most out of me and from there, people in disability services can tailor mm. the service that I get and the help that I get to me with an understanding of my issue because I mean there's no money in narcolepsy so there's not much science in it yeah okay. so it's um a lot of a lot of I guess experience based stuff and mm. from what little information there is my my helper Susanna <laughs> um she has really done a lot to help me and make it a lot better because yeah compared to studying my undergrad degrees mm. versus now it's phenomenal. Yeah, okay. So getting the diagnosis was definitely the doorway yeah. to getting the assistance. Because you need to refresh your diagnosis every, I think it was every year back then. I think it's every two years now for disability services. But when I was in high school, it was every year. Mm-hmm. And it was just, it was crazy because, I mean, a lot of the tests I was doing were tests that would take hours and hours and then that was hours and hours out of school hours and yeah. hours I weren't and then you, that's sitting you back in all yeah. sorts of different ways yeah and then if those tests come back without anything conclusive exactly you've just wasted it anxiety yep. like <laughs> yeah yep. that's that's really tough um what do you have any insights on the diagnosis side of things jack like do you does disability support services offer any help for people who have problems that they can't really put their finger on yet? Yeah, so it sort of depends on um, what the condition is. But essentially, Max, you kind of briefly touched on obviously needing to have a diagnosis to get the appropriate supports. And that's often an issue that we find with students that they may just be seeing a GP and not to say just a GP, obviously, (laughs) but in essence that they're not necessarily a specialist for the particular condition that that student is living with. Mm. Um, So when they can see a specialist who would be able to give us very specific levels of advice and in terms of what adjustments that student should be receiving, um, then we're able to provide a more tailored, I think, approach to what the support is and what the adjustments need to be. Um, but certainly I think if students are having difficulty with getting a diagnosis, there, um, there are some 
resources on campus. So mm-hmm. the psychology clinic for learning disabilities um, or particular diagnoses, I think in, in terms of ADHD. So going through psychometric testing, which is very long and arduous and sometimes hard to get referrals for as well. Mm-hmm. Although then you have these kind of compounding um, difficulties with if students' first language is in English, um, that then impacts their test results. And if students are living with anxiety and depression, it would also potentially impact their test results mm. of a um, psychometric testing for ADHD because sometimes they run comorbid, sometimes you can mistake certain symptoms, but coming at it from sort of like a non-health professional point of view, that's just to give you the background. Um, there are definitely more, I think, details that someone who did have that health background could give. But certainly I think it's really about making sure that you are seeing the right health professional mm. um, who can support you and can provide really specific um, understandings and, I guess, really specific advice around what sort of adjustments that student needs. Yeah, of course. Um, did you... You mentioned, Max, that you were on first-name basis with everyone at the North Shore Hospital. Yeah. You went through that process, meeting a whole bunch of different doctors and psychologists? Yeah, it neurologists? was... Neurologists? Yeah, neurologists. I went and saw about everyone. I even had the mitochondria of my cells irradiated. I, I'd given up on actually finding what was really going on and just wanted to try and sort of deal with the mental health side of it yep. because, yeah, having having depressive episodes is not great for anyone <laughs> yeah. um, like the people around me and myself. Mm-hmm. And so I went to a psychiatrist and I was like, well, if, if I can't find an answer, this guy might be able to have something. And talking through that with him and talking about my symptoms, he, he said he actually studied medicine at UCID and he like roughly remembered a lecture on something very similar. And his friend actually specialises in um, sleep pathology. Mm. Uh, and he's like, well, give me a second, whips out his mobile, rings up his mate, explained my symptoms, and um, the doctor I see now uh, was like, oh, yeah, that, that sounds like he has narcolepsy. Um, does he have any of these tests done? And I said, yeah, here's my giant folder of yeah. tests. <laughs> and the psychiatrist just explained the results and said, yeah, well, it's a miracle no one noticed that before because that's within range to narcolepsy. And I ended up having an appointment with him later on and doing another sleep test at North Shore. Hmm. And they, like, finally diagnosed me after so long. That's exceptional. It was just in time for my last exams in my undergrad. So I got proper (laughs) proper, um, support for those final exams for the first time. And it it was great. And the medication that goes with it made a real difference too. So it was the first time I was able to fully, I guess demonstrate my knowledge on paper which was really empowering yeah that's great so yeah what were the supports that you had for that exam so for that exam i had the medication for the first time yeah massive difference Mm. um i also was given um more time-based support for the exam Mm -hmm. and i was given rest breaks yep um, so I was given a 10 to 15 minute rest break, if I recall correctly, and that would allow me, if I was having like a sleep attack episode, mm. I could have a brief nap and sort of recharge because even the smallest naps with narcolepsy sometimes are really refreshing. Yeah. And the ability to have a like snack as well, yeah. because definitely I find um, that 
little fruit or sometimes it's like a snake yeah, little um, boost blood sugar boost. does does give you that little bit of extra twang that um when you're sitting in a warm exam room getting a bit sleepy mm. that little sugar boost does sort of wake up your mind like i feel fatigued all the time but mm. my mental awakeness is definitely a big difference and all those all those things together contributed to one awesome factor for those exams that's exceptional yeah that's really good so um okay so you were at UCID wasn't quite working for yep. you then you left and you started a different degree yeah um to facilitate or well, facilitate passions yeah um and it was right at the end of that degree that you got your diagnosis yep and the support yep okay um but now you're back at UCID yeah how did that come about um Honestly, the disability support infrastructure was already there and I figured with a diagnosis things would be a bit easier mm. and they, they definitely have been. Mm-hmm. Um, so what did you do? Did you hit up disability support services yeah, early on? Even like, before even before enrolment. Yeah, cool. Yeah, I, and they were happy to talk to you? Yeah, yeah, yeah they were. They, they said like before they could talk to me, obviously I needed to be an enrolled student. Mm. Makes sense. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But yeah, from there, they they were also able to talk to the enrolment team and sort of give them an understanding of why my undergrad marks didn't necessarily reflect my effort put in. Because I mean, for most UCID courses, especially out of the business school at least, um, it's a credit average for postgrad. Yep. And I think I had a few, or oh, I think it was four or five marks under a credit average. Mm-hmm. Um, for undergrad and my first sad. application to UCID, I didn't go through disability service or I didn't talk to them at all. Mm. Um, and it was just shut down. And then after talking to Susanna and the disability support officer out of the business school, they helped me plan a career trajectory mm-hmm. and a course trajectory. And basically the best way of achieving that for me at the time was... I was looking at the Master of International Business originally and with the marks I had, they said go through a grad cert of commerce and then into the MIB. Mm-hmm. Um, I did the grad cert of commerce and discovered that the Master of International Business, although a great degree, mm. wasn't, um, for you. wasn't for me and a lot of my subjects in that were logistics and um, supply chain based mm-hmm. and discovered that the... Institute of Logistics of Supply Chain and um, Transport was right up for, your alley. Yeah, right up for me, where yeah. I had a passion. Awesome, that's great. Yeah. So, basically, from the outset, before you were even sort of enrolled, yeah, you were getting support, a career plan. Well, they once they once I was in the career plan and everything came in, but mm. they definitely were consulting me on the best way of achieving this and sort of showing that equity for me to get in because it was it was a bit of a struggle yeah okay so yeah undergrad, undergrad for me like apart from those final exams was not yeah not great <laughs> yeah well that's amazing that they were there to facilitate the conversation yeah and it's it's good now that at least i have proven what disability services stood up for right because i am maintaining a 
low distinction, mid distinction, average. So well, it's nothing to sneeze at. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's I'm trying hard and yeah, I'm yeah, getting yeah, the marks, yeah. and That's I think it's great. different from trying hard and not getting the marks. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. That's yeah. great. Good stuff. Yeah. Um, Jack, is that something that happens often, or like for undergrad students, postgrad students? Yeah, so we have um, kind of three types of appointments. One is a registration appointment. One is a returning appointment, so a student who's already registered with disability services. And then the other is a prospective appointment. So we provide advice and support for students who are either already enrolled or through their degree and thinking about registering with disability services or they um, are at that beginning stage of enrolment mm. and want to discuss with us, you know, what are the certain supports that I could have. Mm. There's also the option, I guess, for students to interact with us during open day or even before they've chosen to come to the University of Sydney just to discuss what kind of supports we offer to see if they would um, have the right adjustments for their particular condition. Mm. Um, so, yeah, certainly students do approach us before they're enrolled and we can facilitate that support through us and then also connecting to the particular school or faculty that they might be looking at enrolling in. That's exceptional. I had no idea. So, Max, do you have any words of wisdom of for people who may be in a similar situation to you and are looking for some help? I think definitely even, even if you have some worries in the back of your mind, I think definitely approach disability services because I'm yet to meet an unfriendly person in disability services. Um, they're all great and they do tailor the support you get to you. Mm. It's, it's well worth it because you can't really reach the full potential that you have without some help. Yeah. And it's being big enough to accept that help and knowing when you need it that really makes a difference and especially made a difference for me and my degree. Yeah, and the opportunities that came out of that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, awesome. How much longer do you have? Um, I finish in July next year. Okay, cool. So a little way to go. Yeah. <laughs> okay, yeah. well, awesome. Good luck. Thank you. <laughs> and Jack, words of wisdom from you. I think for, for me as a disability services officer, it's really easy for me to have conversations around mental health, neurological disabilities, learning disabilities or disorders, um, and really traumatic experiences, mainly because I think I talk about it every day with students. Mm. Um, and sometimes I need to remind myself that during registration appointments or if you're a student thinking about approaching disability services, um, it's potentially a really traumatic or personal experience for that particular student. Mm. Um, and so I, th I think in saying that, it's important to acknowledge that if you do decide to register with disability services, we're not sort of dismissing or looking over or, you know, trying to find a quick fix. We really do want to make sure that we're supporting you as best as possible. Um, and if you do choose to disclose that you are have a disability and that you do want to register with disability services, it's not something that continues with you after university. So mm. I think often there is there's still a stigma around disability and around disclosing, but 
it's something that stays within disability services. Obviously, your academic plan, which is our kind of formal documentation that shows your approved adjustments, mm. does go to your academics. It doesn't include a list of what your disabilities are. It talks about what the impacts of that disability or condition are, but it never says what the particular disability is. Mm. When you graduate, it doesn't go on your test tumour or on your graduation documentation. But I think even though I understand lots of the stigmas around disability services, I also just want to encourage people to come and talk to us, even if it's a prospective appointment. You don't have to register. If you just want to have a chat and a discussion around some of the difficulties you've been having, we're more than happy to do that. Um, mm. And we don't have to take the conversation any further. It is really up to you to access that support. And we're sort of here to help advise you. Well said. So to those listening who are maybe on the fence about contacting DSS, or were unaware of how broad the support on offer is, you have champions in Jack and Max. Reach out. Another way to potentially alleviate some of that COVID stress and anxiety could be to plug into Disability Inclusion Week, which I mentioned at the top is happening all week. The Disability Inclusion Week team have told me that they'll be posting accessible learning tech tips on university socials and that there will also be in-person discussions on staff and student perspectives on online learning. We'll include details in our show notes. That's it for this episode. Thanks for stopping by. I'd like to thank the PeerPod team once again for bringing it all together. If today's episode has sparked anything for you, we'd love to hear about it. Drop us a line at peerpod.pla at sydney.edu.au. Catch you next time.